Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Groovy. I don't want to be forced by Ultraman. Well, he just squish it, Mike. You're too tiny. Are we actually recording right now? I turned the recorder on. Oh, welcome to Box Office Pulp, everybody. <laughs> your one-stop <laughs> podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and surprise recordings. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me today for this mini-bop on Shin Ultraman, Mike. Say hello, Mike. I am smooth and silver. <laughs> Isn't that the dream? Kinda, yeah. If we still had like a sponsorship from uh, Manscaped, that's how they should sell those. Make you smooth. Smooth as a seal. Ooh, like a missile. Uh, Also joining us today, Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Yeah, I've been reading a book on the history of Studio Studio Ghibli lately. And an interesting factoid I saw was that Hideki Anno got his start working out under Miyazaki and based Shinji's dad from Evangelion on that experience. <laughs> which makes me which explains a lot about the career of Goro Miyazaki. <laughs> but yeah, I've been, oh. I've been just rolling that around in my head all day. Oh, that's a low blow. I <laughs> Jamie, I feel like you've got half of a killer review written for something right there. Like <laughs> I don't know what, but if you just like stick it on like my neighbor Totoro or something, just you know, you should, you should definitely tack it away for later. I'm just imagining again. Miyazaki saying, "Get in the goddamn animation booth, Goro." <laughs> it's not fair that his name is Goro. He has like such a cool name. Is Goro a cool name in Japan though, or is that like, oh, it's Ted? It's Goro. I don't care where it is. It sounds cool to Americans, sure. I don't know if it sounds cool in Japan. Maybe there's like 50 Goros, maybe like in every graduating class. If you're from Japan, please write us and let us know how cool a name Goro is in your home uh, country. Better yet, tell us all of the stupid American names that are randomly badass where you live. <laughs> it's going to turn out to be like Ryan or something. It's got, I'm assuming it's like from old movies, right? Like in Japan, it's probably really cool if your name's like Wayne, because it sounds like John Wayne. Oh, fucking Zeke. Humphreys must be up to their waist in pussy in, like, Switzerland. Oh, yeah. I I hate the visual image of someone on the Swiss Alps <laughs> named Humphrey who's just getting it. Like, just surrounded by blonde, beautiful Swedish women. And now I'm doing Swedes instead of Swiss. <laughs> Regardless, I don't like Humphreys getting action. It's not fair. It's not right. Foreign folk. Foreign whites. <laughs> Unlike us, who are domestic whites. <laughs> I'm an well, IPA. This, this went south very fast. Anyways, <laughs> Shin Ultraman. <laughs> We're getting back to the nitty gritty of box office pulp. This is Shin box office pulp. That's what that is. <laughs> and then Cody so, glides away soundlessly. <laughs> okay, I wanted to get to that later. But since we've already brought it up, I want to mention how much I loved the movement of Ultraman in this movie. Yes. <laughs> Like, the, it, it, you you would expect a realism to be the driving force in pretty much any movie now where if they have to sell this thing's huge and when he lands before his feet even touch the ground he'll cause a ripple and there'll be you know sonic booms and so much wind blowing it knocks everyone's hats off and shin ultraman just just glides through the world he's like the silver surfer he just <laughs> it's amazing like i love the choice because he can just stop on a dime 
just cancel momentum, spin around and launch himself into space. It's very cartoony, but it works in the favor of the movie. I really appreciate how unique it made his movements. Well, I think that was the first thing Mike and I texted each other about after I watched it. Because, like, I think the way you put it, Mike, was he moves like Miracle Man. Yes. (laughs) Where just everything is so effortless and graceful, it goes past being cartoony and just becomes kind of terrifying. Yeah, there's an uncanny valley, like, quality to Ultraman's... uh, not obeying the laws of time and space. Like, he doesn't... He's Ultraman like a vampire. is a god. Just, like, he is no, a god. He doesn't have sense. to obey gravity or inertia. Yes, there's something, like, really... I think it's, like, the combination of the fact that, like, they did CGI for him, but still have motion captured, but then they did the CGI, so it's kind of like a man in a suit. And then you have these these effects. They could have easily done a Miracle Man-like version of this, where Ultraman's existence on our planet is upsetting and actually kind of terrifying like they could have gone that way so easily with how it's presented here which they kind of do but in a very subtle way it's like you have if you go into this movie not knowing what to expect but beyond what you know of ano's work with uh, with animation and what he did with shin godzilla you're kind of expecting something fucked up and disturbing yeah. Until the movie goes to its comedic tone and you realize, oh, this is literally just Ultraman. But in the in See, the frame, the I'm not I'm not a huge Ultraman guy, so I didn't know what to expect. And then getting in, you're like, okay, this seems like a good series. We've got kaiju's, we've got it, it, kind of the Shin Godzilla approach where you've got humanity on the ground freaking out about not knowing how to defeat monsters. And then you realize very, very quickly, no, that's not what they're going for. This is a totally different beast than Shin Godzilla. This is <laughs> man in a suit gorilla fight kind of thing uh and then occasionally the fate of the entire cosmos hangs in the balance yeah it really threw me up for a loop whenever i was first watching it because like i said it's, it's such a departure from shin godzilla and then about halfway through it clicked that oh shin godzilla was anno returning godzilla to its original form returning to gojira and doing straight up horror this is returning Ultraman to his purest form, which is, it's a silly tokusatsu story. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, I loved the switch here in the ending of Shin Godzilla, right? Pretty, pretty dramatic. They beat Godzilla, but you're left that lingering note of, uh, for how long? This thing keeps evolving. They just kind of held him at bay. Are we doomed? And it seems negative. It seems scary. The ending of this one, on page, it's like, oh, humanity's fucked. But... It's it's done in such a hopeful, optimistic way about how Ultraman is kind of Superman, like he's altruistic, like he's he really just loves humanity that much that he's willing to do whatever. It's it's weird how the vibe on that one goes in a complete different direction than the vibe I got at the end of Shin Godzilla. It's very which... uh, the ending of All Star Superman, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, like you said uh, you never really uh, you you never watched the show, Cody. I- I'm so grateful that since I knew nothing about the show other than like a stuff from cultural osmosis, I sat down and watched the first episode of Ultraman. Is there is a gag at the beginning of this movie that blew my fucking mind? So Ultraman, the original show, is technically the second season of 
a Japanese uh, drama program called Ultra Q. Yes. Yeah. Just and basically that, that Ultra Man watched, without... Without Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was very confused when I got that show and everyone's like, oh, this is the prequel to Ultraman. And I watched him like, there's no fucking Ultraman in this. There's like a, they're fighting trolls. What's happening? Yeah, it's Ultra Q is essentially like the first act of this of this movie, which is brilliant. Ultra Q is awesome, by the way. If anybody's never yeah, watched it, it's, go, it's not go, bad go see it. It's pretty cool. It's pretty much like a kaiju anthology series. A lot of people call it uh, the Japanese X-Files, and that seems to be pretty apt. Yeah. Now, in the first episode of Ultraman, it shows the Ultra Q opening for a second, which then shatters into the Ultraman logo to announce that this is a new thing. And that's how <laughs> this movie opens, with the Shin Godzilla logo. <laughs> Just making you think, for a second, you're watching the wrong movie, and then the Shin Ultraman logo appears. <laughs> See, it should have been the logo for uh, Shin uh, Evangelion, just to like really screw with people. <laughs> <laughs> and Garfield's in the logo. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, in the Ultraman pilot, you see his origin, which is pretty much just Hal Jordan's origin. The pilot gets visited by dying alien who gives him power. I am so amazed at like the subtle brilliance of. Just skipping over all that and just having Ultraman be be mysterious. And the shift that the alien side of the personality would be the dominant one, instead of it just yeah. being a regular Hal Jordan dude who presses a yeah. button and then he's Ultraman. Well, I like that. And I also like the, the point of view. I don't know if the normal Ultraman episodes are like this, but I like the point of view exclusively pretty much being with the little people. It's it's so hard to do in a kaiju movie to make us care about the human characters, but if you can focus it there, it just makes so much more sense, especially when it's a series called Shin whatever. You have to stress the fact that these are godly, huge, gigantic, unnatural things, and the easiest way to do that is to show it in comparison to normal little life. And I think they did a pretty good job on this one. It's not just bureaucratic shit that you just want to get done with so you can get to monster fights. It's, to me, pretty entertaining when you just have moments of these characters interacting and doing human stuff. Yeah, if that if that were just the movie, I if it was just Shin Ultra Q, I would have been kind of on board. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was well done. It's so hard to do in a kaiju anything to give you make you give a shit about people, as we've seen in in the newer Godzilla films. One one thing I think definitely helped is how committed to the tone they are with this cast. I was thinking about this. Before I thought we were buddies. <laughs> I was thinking about this before I got on. Why is it that, and I'm, I'm sure it, the answer is just cultural differences, but it really seems like American actors are incapable of acting like live action cartoon characters without being obnoxious and annoying. When Japanese actors act like live action anime characters, it's the most endearing thing in the world. <laughs> I think part of what helps for me is whenever I'm watching a, a film in a foreign language, I just believe the actors are all really good at their jobs. Like if I can't understand their cadence or like hear them naturally say the words, understand what the words mean, <laughs> I just give them benefit of doubt and just assume, oh, that guy is the best actor. Give him an Oscar. To me, Which, it comes, uh, it kind of comes down to just the way Japan treats animation. 
and comics and things like that versus how the West treats them. Whenever an actor does a performance like that to act like a live action cartoon character, it's just another form of normal acting for them psychologically. While here it's, we're acting like a cartoon character. This is stupid. And so you're going to have the breakdown of it's someone being stupid and acting stupid. And that's about it. Yeah. I I think that's, uh, that's definitely very true. It, I think it also, it, I think the commitment to tone definitely helps too. It's like, it's not like there are moments in this movie that are extremely serious and morose and, you know, feel like you know something cerebral, and then it's interrupted by a dumb comic relief character. The movie manages to have a very consistent tone of a silly set, a a very well produced silly special effects show that's always on the verge of becoming very sinister and dramatic, but never quite get there until the very end. It's very sincere. It's it's sincere in yeah. its comedy and weaving it together with. Like as um, authentic to its original form as it is, they still manage to work in like um, political satire, um, satire in a way that's very not even quite Japanese. It's it's more Western satire, and also they just still throw out like once again reminding me of Miracle Man, really like philosophical concepts that they don't really answer. They just throw it out there as questions. Yeah, I think my favorite moment in this entire movie is towards the beginning, whenever we see them uh, unsuccessfully try to take out uh, one of the stronger kaijus, and one of the people in the office is just like, oh, well, there goes our fucking bonus this year. Because <laughs> at this point, fighting kaiju is just a job for the people in this world. And if they can't kill the kaiju that's destroying a city, it's like, oh, well, there goes the office Christmas party. Well, the, the political aspect of it, too, where they mentioned like, oh, man, this is the prime minister's hometown. He can't lose that. If it takes any damage, he won't win re-election. So it's like it's only serious because it affects a politician, which I'm sure no one in America can empathize with that. Hmm. Also, that's where the brilliance of the episodic nature of the movie comes in, where you can watch the Japanese government just do the same thing over and over again. And that's part of the satire. Like, it seems almost like when you put it back to back, it seems almost lazy. <laughs> or like well, it's almost like a rule of three thing stretched out over a whole movie yes with the japanese government like making very bad political deals for short-term gain <laughs> that might cost the entire planet in the long run with maybe the best cast uh incompetent politician i've ever seen in this prime minister <laughs> like i feel like he could have no dialogue and just by looking at him i could be like yep you're a clown <laughs> <laughs> checks out <laughs> I think I think one of my favorite jokes I've seen in a movie in a while is whenever the prime minister is meeting the envoy for an alien race that's that's wishing to establish relations with Japan. And it just cuts to them shaking hands in what seems to be a closet illuminated <laughs> solely by flashlights with the alien in a trench coat and a hat, and right before it cuts away, <laughs> you can hear the sound of someone 
clicking an old timey camera. Because <laughs> this moment needs to be res- needs to be preserved for prost- posterity. <laughs> so that is a perfect joke. The movie could have ended there. I do. Oh, an alien from another planet wearing a trench coat and a like a fedora, like he's the stranger danger icon. Yeah, no, it seems good. Let's, let's roll forward. Zareb was very fashionable. <laughs> so if I, I wanted to take a step back because we, we brushed past the kaiju and they take on less importance as the movie goes on. Uh, but at the start of it, I was really kind of fascinated by the fact that as a Japanese movie, it doesn't have the budget that an American movie would. And the CGI reflects that. It's not perfect CGI, but it really works with this movie since it, it almost gives that guy in a suit type feel. Not that they're they're trying to necessarily 100% emulate guy in a suit look, but that, that kind of idea of this is imperfect, but it works within the means of what we're doing and it fits the tone and it kind of fits the history too. So when you look at all these monsters and they don't really look photorealistic, it doesn't take you out of it. It doesn't look like, oh, they did a shit job. It just fits with the feel of the movie. Plus, it's fun watching for me because all the monster designs are very different than the standard Americanized kind of monster we, we've been treated to. Uh, I love all the Neville Page stuff we've been getting for years, but it also feels like everyone's trying to emulate what he does. Yeah. yeah. These monsters don't feel anything like that. It's not like a lot of anuses, which is kind of his trademark. Uh, it's, it's stuff that's like, this monster doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like he's he's half drill. How does that work? Yeah, who gives a shit? It's fun to watch. He turns invisible for no reason. Yeah, he's he's like a hollowed out monster. He's a cardboard tube of a monster. Okay, sure, fuck it, that's cool. Uh, and I I kind of like that attitude of it doesn't need to make sense. We don't have to have some sort of hidden science degree that explains everything behind all these monsters. They can be a little silly. Uh, and I like the permission of going kind of fantastic, uh, fantastical with these designs. Yeah, I've always appreciated the whole, like, Guillermo del Toro idea of monster design, where it's like, okay, you don't just go random with it. You're like, you have to have, like, some logic to it so that you, you can, if this is, like, something that's supposed to be, you know, organic in the wild, it should look like a creature that exists. But, man, I miss fun with monster designs. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since most of the people that do follow that philosophy, they... The end result is kind of just, you you made an animal that looks a little weird. Kind of Pokemon design. Like a lot of them are just, oh, it's, okay, so maybe it's like a butterfly that's extra big and has some spikes. Uh, To tack up on what you were saying uh, about the effects earlier, yeah, that's something that that was on my mind a lot watching this. And the same way, like, it was really on my mind years ago watching Shin Godzilla. That little voice in the back of your head that's saying, Technically, by the standards I'm told to have, this is bad CGI. And if I saw this in in an American movie, I might laugh at it. But the way it's blended works perfectly. Like, it's it's very much the same type of philosophy that uh, directors like Hondo had for, like, the original Godzilla films. Uh, Like, okay... We're going to meet the audience in the middle that, yes, this is clearly fake. And we're not going to necessarily make it look real, but we're going to build the world around it and film it in a way where it still blends. Yeah, own it as a stylistic choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like and if you back on. Oh, sorry. Ah, no, go ahead. 
But yeah, thinking back on Shin Godzilla, you're right. Like by standards of American film, this is not the world's most impressive CGI. But bad CGI is never a thought I would have if you asked me to describe Shin Godzilla. I wouldn't pull that out of a hat. It wouldn't be like my first 20 thoughts about that movie. Maybe I would think about like how goofy the eyes look on the younger version of Shin Godzilla, but that's not a complaint either. That's a stylistic choice. Like they're intentionally trying to make it kind of look a little googly eyed and funny in parts. Uh, I, I think there's kind of to what you're saying, a higher mastery of getting these things to play with their environment and the reaction of the people around you more so than you'd sometimes get with these giant CGI creations in America that are on paper perfect, you know, like photorealistic. The textures are amazing but you often don't buy that they're actually doing the things they're supposed to be doing. It's weird. If I saw Shin Godzilla in the middle of a Marvel movie, I'd point and laugh at it. Yet Shin got, when I watch that creature in Shin Godzilla, I believe it's actually there more than like the most impressive CGI in a Western movie. Well, yeah. It's like some of um like the CGI and some of the newer, uh, Star Wars stuff, particularly like the last season, Mandalorian and whatnot, where besides the fact they are actually using some stop motion stuff, but a lot of the CGI they're making look more stop motion. And I've seen that in a lot of different projects where they're taking the CGI instead of trying to make it flow, give it a little bit of that clunky stop motion feel, have some green screen backgrounds look a little bit matte painting like, um, whenever they're moving in a 3d environment instead of just trying to go realistic with it. And just that little bit of a, of a tweak actually makes the effect disappear. It's kind of the difference between the polar express and puss in boots too. <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. So sometimes when you lean into the artifice and you're not going to for recreating life, it, it looks way more alive. Yeah. One, one last comment about Shin Godzilla, and then we can actually get back to the proper topic of the episode. The, the the moment in Shin Godzilla where he lets loose all of his atomic lasers out of his spines and basically destroys everything around him. Dear God, uh, it's beautiful. You don't even think about, oh, some guy was in an animation room working on this for, for months or whatever. It's so breathtaking. It's so perfect. And... That's that's that goes a long way to the tone and all of it was so well done that you're 100% hooked when that moment happens. And to a similar degree, Shin Ultraman has some kind of kooky moments where I don't even give a shit. It's perfectly fine. I buy into the emotional stakes that are happening anyways, even if <laughs> this this doesn't all quite look right or, or something here isn't done realistic. I don't care. Like, I, I'm still I love really into what's happening. Ludicrous. Some of those movements are in this movie. Yeah, or especially oh, like when he, uh, I guess, I don't know how much spoilers we're doing. We've done some light ones here. They go to space at one point. I'm just throwing that out, folks. He goes to space. Uh, and as silly as that seems, I'm still like, yep, nope, still on board. You haven't lost me. This totally makes sense for the movie I'm watching. Mike, do you agree that the fight scenes towards the end of the film almost become Panty Man? Yes, a little bit. Yeah, I, I did have that in my mind. Like, I was expecting I, I, Ultraman to teabag one of the monsters and then spin <laughs> on his dick at high speeds. There's a specific, like, <laughs> tone to, like, Japanese giant mo- monster comedy fights. That, that That is, like, a very specific tone, and you can kind of, like, see when it's going in that direction. It's a very <laughs> big man Japan in places. 
Yeah. I was about to say that was my thought, but that I have a limited frame of reference. But it immediately made me think, okay, so is Big Man Japan less parody than I thought it was originally, or is that more loving homage? See, meanwhile, my my, my frame of reference was Supeda Man. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking, I'm, I'm just waiting for fucking the emissary from hell to pop up in his giant <laughs> robot. Meanwhile, mine is a superhuman samurai cyber squad. Doesn't count. <laughs> I saw one of those figures at like in a like cheap toy dump bin at a thrift store the other day and lost my shit. Did you buy it? I did not. It looked it, oh, it looked radioactive to to put it my even better. Good. That's a nightlight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jamie, we're not mad at you, but I think Mike and I agree. We're disappointed. It's okay. I bought a Gundam model kit. I oh, made that's it right. Cool too. Okay, that makes it a little bit better. Wait, wait, wait. Which Gundam? Uh, Heroes from Gundam Wing. Okay, nice. Okay. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Which which version? (laughs) The the main Gundam uh, for the majority of the show, uh, white, red, and blue. The one that basically looks like the uh, Amaro's Gundam from the original show, but with Riz. Yeah, so so not Wing Zero or the Wing Zero with Angel Wings. Oh, God, I would have purchased that immediately if I saw that. I used to, I don't don't know what happened to it. I had a a Gundam model kit I put together. It was uh, Endless Waltz, Wing Zero with the Ah, the Angel Wings. Ah, it looks so good. Uh. I have a weird mental block where... I cannot build a Gundam unless it's from a Gundam show I've seen, or else I won't have an emotional connection to that giant robot. Same, same. I think a lot of people are like that, actually. Yeah, well, see, I've never made Gundams because I figure that looks really fucking hard. So I have not. Ah, but Cody, there are levels to Gundam building. Yes. I need like the uh, Gundams for idiots. Like it's all pretty much put together and then you just have to take it out of the box. You I just want an action it. figure yeah. is what I want. Uh, believe me, if I can take care of like a level two Gundam, I, I think the Lego Master can. <laughs> Lego's perfect. You just snap them together. It's just little bricks. This this is like I think glue is involved. There's stickers. Uh, there are stickers. Uh, there are levels in which there's glue involved, but not entirely. Uh, I I already did my time with model glue uh, whenever I was 12. So now it's all snaps for me from now on. Yeah, snaps are the way to go. I don't have fucking time for that bullshit. And I have to put like a table together and get. No, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. That's why <laughs> I'm Ultraman do figures are getting the best. into a hammer. Exactly. Some fucking metal. <laughs> That's why Ultraman <laughs> figures are the best because he's just phallic. Doesn't move, and there's nothing to do to him. Like, just there. Mm, don't have to paint him. Don't have to do anything. It's just a tube with arms. <laughs> That's how my gym teacher described me. Dies for our sins. He's, yeah, you know, Japanese Jesus. I do think there is, like, going back to, like, a more serious topic in regards to the movie we're discussing. I do think there is <laughs> Too late. very, like... um I, I don't know, like, all the differing origins for Shin Ultraman. I, sh- I should say that. Um, I was watching a little bit of the 2000-era uh, show, 2001, I think, because Shout was having, like, a marathon a day. I was watching a little bit of that. But um, so I don't know, like, his, like what other different origins he's had. But uh, there is something weirdly beautiful about, like, he takes the body of this guy purely because this guy sacrificed himself to save a child. 
So he takes his form and then tries to understand humanity while being this guy. And then comes full circle by, spoilers, sacrificing himself to save the human race and hopefully propel it to the future. Spoilers, spoilers, Ultraman dies. Shin dies. Um, (laughs) Shin Shin Ultraman dies. Like, I like... Of all the projects I expected to have a bookend, I would not have like a like uh, symmetrical bookend to itself. Shin Ultraman would not have like been on that particular <laughs> bingo card. <laughs> well, yeah, Cody described um I believe it was Cody described him as the Silver Surfer earlier, and I think that's actually very apt to to this movie. Like, it's very silly, and Ultraman himself is kind of a silly character, but. He carries with him this Shakespearean weight of this outsider trying to understand what makes human beings work. Well, it's it's amazing to me because the movie goes out of its way, right, to show all of the political wrangling, all of like humanity being very short sighted and dumb, and giving him all the excuse in the world to go, "Oh, these guys are fucked." Yeah, I can understand why everyone wants to either use or destroy them. I shouldn't be involved here. And he's Ultraman has several opportunities where he can just go home. He can just quit. Uh, and instead, he's still like, no, I think, like, I saw this one dude, like, do something pretty selfless. Uh, I'm just going to assume everyone's kind of like that deep down. Uh, and he I rolls with like it. A... Like, it's kind of empowering that he sees more bad examples than good. And he still comes out on the side of, nah, fuck this. I, I still want to save humanity. Yeah, it's a, there's a telescopic nature to the purview it sets up for humanity, where you start with this, like, a very interpersonal sort of thing people boots on the ground then you have the japanese government who think they're the lords over everything and then on top of that you have these aliens who then lord over that so it's like we get progressively more ant-like but there's like levels of people who think they're above everything else so ultraman's able to like see like straight down to like the very basic core ultraman he's for the little guy (laughs) (laughs) but he's huge but he's real big yeah Yeah, it's something that's been consistent a lot through Anno's work, especially looking at Evangelion, that balance of the whole we are but ants being moved around by machinations we can't begin to understand, and then balancing it out with just the simple basic decency and humanity of some silly dumb dudes. Yeah, that's, that's something... Uh, I, I loved a lot about uh, Evangelion, that mixture of uh, so cynicism and wide-eyed appreciation for how strong and resilient humanity can be. And I think this I, is probably I think Mike the most... said it pretty good before. It's very all-star Superman. I, yeah. I wasn't expecting that from, from this show at all, and I really like that. It's the most pro-humanity thing uh, Anno has ever written. <laughs> Jamie, I don't know if I could really describe the movie any better than that. So I'm now canceling the show, and we're all going to be jettisoned to the sun. Goodbye. And and credits to Into the astral plane we go. (laughs) But yeah, folks. uh, Shin Ultraman. uh, Mike, do you have the details on that? Is that hitting streaming soon, or is that going to be on demand? It hits uh, VOD on July 4th, and Blu-ray and DVD on July 11th. Ooh, nice. I'm coming for you, Best Buy. Also, <laughs> the nice thing uh, I have noticed, like all the Ultraman TV shows are, are being released on Steelbooks through Mill Creek, I think. So you can go down to Best Buy and get them for like 
10 bucks or something a piece. So I, uh, I, I really should collect those. I believe it's Shout Factory because I think they yep. own all that stuff. Is that they've, oh, they've been they Shout do- Factory? Yeah. yeah, they've been doing nice. a really good job of preserving a lot of old tokusatsu stuff over in, in recent yeah. years. They actually have They're- a streaming channel that's just tokusatsu as well. Oh, that's, uh, I believe, ran by Shout. Um, yeah, without Shout TV, I would never have seen the original Super Sentai episodes that Power Rangers clips were pulled from. And oh my god, is Rita awesome in Japanese Power Rangers. Yeah. She has a bike she rides around in the sky like the Wicked Witch of the West. Like a bicycle or a motorcycle? Oh, a bicycle. Like it's, ba- yeah. it's, it's clearly it's, based it's, on that one shot from Wizard of Oz. Yes. It's fucking okay. so weird to go back and watch that. Like just It's like a creepy pasta. Yes, like oh my god, they're like in a city and there's all this footage of like the Zords the, do the things. Zords do the Zords do stuff. Yes, before they actually form the Megazord, they actually do things. They attack people and shit. It's way more violent than you would ever think. Huh. You you really do learn stuff every day. And uh, oddly layered storytelling. (sighs) Also, there's now a uh, Power Rangers streaming channel, I think like on Pluto and uh, I think Roku and, and things like that. Just like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers over and over and over again. Well, my brain's already mush, so I know what I'm doing tonight. There you go. I mean, it's coming up on the 4th of July, folks. What better way to celebrate America than by binging all the Ultraman Power Rangers you can handle? Oh, I thought you were going to say by uh, binging the Americanized version of Japanese culture. That'd be funny, too. That'd be <laughs> Just take the American bastardization of all that other stuff. Just, take that, just do World ours. War II. That's for Pearl Harbor. Power Rangers is for Pearl Harbor. <laughs> this is the long, slow goodbye to Japan. We've taken everything we value and made it really dorky. Now, pop in that DVD of Samurai Cyber Squad. This isn't the end of Box Office Pulp, but I kind of wish that was our final sign-off. I think that'd be a good way to go. <laughs> I, know, I, feel like, I feel like we're <laughs> obligated to then cut to the Samurai Cyber Squad <laughs> starring <laughs> Joey Lawrence. My, my dream has come with- true. I get to put that on an episode. <laughs> Just intermingled with cuts of us committing uh, seppuku. Just uh, <laughs> box office pulp is <laughs> just sound effects from a Kurosawa movie. <laughs> Jamie, will you be my second? Shunk. I like the idea of being decapitated on the show because then I don't have to do the end credits ramble. Anyways, folks, if you've enjoyed this episode of Box Office Pulp, you can find more of us on Mike. Where do we have left? Because it's no longer oh, a Stitcher God's production. I choose, no, we're not illegally allowed to say Stitcher anymore, I guess. Um, They're going to shoot us if we say Stitcher one more time. Not well, we'll be on Pandora soon, I guess. So you can look for us on oh. Pandora. Uh, we're on Amazon Music. We're on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can pretty much find us most places. You can uh, go to boxofficepulp.com, of course, to find all these links or boxofficepulp.pod.link. Well, you heard it here first. Last? Whatever. You heard I've it here, folks. Before. We really should just record this and play it over and over again. I don't know why we torture ourselves and try and make it unique each time. I'll never remember. Anyways, folks, that's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. The evil Kilocon lives inside computer circuits. With the help of Malcolm Frink, he creates megavirus monsters to attack electronic systems. Meanwhile, a freak accident turns Sam Collins into Servo. His friends join forces in their samurai's attack vehicles. Together, they transform into the Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. Superhuman Samurai! 
I don't know about you guys, but I took the news of Stitcher going away about the same way I did finding out about Bed Bath & Beyond. It's <laughs> like, I'm really sad that that's going away, but not out of affection, because it's a thing that existed previously. I occasionally bought some glasses from Bed Bath & Beyond, or maybe a comforter. I, I would go in there every once in a while if I needed uh, a new spatula. I enjoyed looking at the blender aisle because the idea of there being an entire aisle dedicated to different types of blenders. So that was hell for me because when I would look for a blender, I'd see too many options and I wouldn't know which one to pick. So I thought I was going to be making margaritas that night. And no, it just meant two more weeks of deliberation. No, then you just buy all the blenders. I can't. I don't have enough shelf space for that many blenders. That'd be crazy. Okay, guys, here's what we do. We all get together. We find the closest Bed Bath & Beyond to Mike's house, and we put up a reasonable bargain price for the Beyond part of the sign. Ooh, <laughs> I, can just I like this, this plan. Lawn. I like that a lot, yeah. Bob and Beyond! <laughs> can we make that a sub-series now? <laughs> That's too good Please? not to use. Yes. I don't know what we'd use it for, but yes, that name's taken. I just taken. want the no sound one else like it already doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully the recording's still going. Always. See, I really wanted the end credits scene to be me just begging Jamie to make the sound of Japanese throwing stars and me just crying out in pain, and that was that was the end credits. But do it. Oh, I can still do that. Oh no! I got See, those those were canon film ninja stars though. <laughs> <laughs> like Japanese throwing stars would be like shoo would be like Can more we... like that. Can we have a viewing party sometime for Ninja Three? Yes. Fuck Domination. yes. I want to. Yeah, I want to watch that one with friends. That'd be a good time. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now, please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now on with the show. <laughs>